0: Welcome and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's Sermon Podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. I have to give a quick shout out to my uh, son Luke, who's back on the computer. He shot and uh, edited that video. I thought he did a pretty good job. I know I'm a dad and I'm a little biased, but I thought it was pretty good. Give, give him a hand for that. Um, he was just saying all he wanted for payment was the car, but um, that's my, my aunt's car, and I don't think she's willing to part with that just yet. But anyway, it's a pretty good job. But we're talking about Road Trip. And, and this week on Road Trip, the title of our message, I don't always share the title of my message, but there was always a title there somewhere. But today I want to share it with you because it's exactly what we're talking about. And we're talking about new car smell. You know, if you're on a road trip, there's something about going on a road trip and having a brand new car with very little miles on it. Man, you're on the road, you don't have to worry about it breaking down. And I'll tell you this, I I tell people from time to time, as a preacher, a lot of times when I'm preparing for a message, I feel like I kind of get... um, It's not always the right word, but that's the only word I can think of right now. But I kind of get attacked with whatever it might be. Like if I'm talking about trials and dealing with trials, well, that week I really go through a lot of trials. And so I was really excited because this is a topic that I'm not very experienced on. I've never owned a new car. And so it's a little bit out of my comfort zone. So I was kind of hoping maybe if I'm talking about new car smell, God will give me a car. Uh, No, he hadn't done that. Um, He hadn't done that. My truck, if you've seen my truck, and I'll be glad to show you, but you'll pity me. Um, I have this truck that's been a great truck, but I got it just a few years ago and had very low miles on it. And it was a 1997. And it only had 42,000 miles on it about three or four years ago. I mean, it only had 42,000 miles. But then all of a sudden, after about a year and a half, it started realizing how old it was. It was like me, like some days I get out of bed and I'm like, man, I feel good. Then all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, my back hurts. And I've got a kink in my neck right now. And it's probably just because I went like this, you know, and stuff happens. It's like, you feel good, you feel young, but then you realize how old you are. And my truck, realize how old it is. My truck is older than a lot of recent college graduates. I mean, you just put that in perspective. I mean, these are people that are in their 20s and my truck is older than some of them. And I'll tell you, though, I've driven some new cars before. I've had the opportunity to drive some friends' new cars. Uh, you know, I've rented some cars that were brand new. Just, I mean, I remember one rental car I had, I think when I got in it, it had like 10 or 11 miles on it. I mean, it was fresh off the trailer, you know, just unloaded. And I've been a passenger in some brand new cars. Some people had some really nice cars. And there's just something really, really nice about a brand new car. Am I right? You know, whether you've owned one or not, it's just really nice. I mean, it smells good, and people try to mimic that new car smell. Am I right? I mean, they try to make chemicals that say this is what a new car smells like, but there's just something about that new car smell. Everything is clean. Everything is crisp. It's, like, smooth, and it's made in this century, unlike my (laughs) truck. You know, it's just different. It it makes it sound really old when you say that, but that's true, right? It's made in this century, and mine's not. There's been no accidents, no fender benders, no big scratches. Your kids have not drugged the handlebars or their bike down the side like they did on my truck that looked really good until they did that. (laughs) But it's fantastic. I know I shock people. They're like, you're a preacher. You're not supposed to spit. (laughs) Um, but (laughs) But it's a fantastic feeling to drive a new car. And on this road trip of life, Believe it or not, the same principle is true. This road trip of life that we're on, and we've kind of got a subtitle for this series, and it's finding your way back to God, or finding your way to God. Maybe you've never had a relationship with Him. And on this road trip of life, we love the feeling of being free. We love the feeling of being clean and new, of having no burdens, of having no guilt, of having no shame. But let's be honest, let's be real if we could for just a moment. Most of us don't go through life feeling like we've got that new car smell. Am I right? You know, it's a good theory. And maybe even if we're a follower of Jesus, maybe even if we're a Christian, we, we know that that's the theory. We know that that's the way it's supposed to be. But when we look in the mirror, all we see are the fender benders that we've been through. And I'm not talking about the physical stuff, even though that may be wearing on you too. I'm talking about the scratches, the, the, the handlebars that you've drugged down the side of your own car, so to speak. The, the bad decisions, the times that you saw the brick wall, but you drove straight into it anyway, even though your mom, your dad, your friends told you not to. You know, we've all got this uh, desire to have this new car smell and feel new and feel clean and feel crisp and feel free, but it's fleeting and it's hard to catch. Am I right? It's hard to wrap our minds and our hands around. And in real life, it might seem like a pipe dream. It might seem like a fantasy. But what if I told you that you, you, every single one of you, you watching on Facebook, every single one of us, if you, not just your neighbor, not just your friend, not just your preacher, every single one of us could go through life with a new car smell. In a spiritual sense, we can do it. Free of accident reports, free of unexplainable stains that you don't know where in the world that came from. I mean, can y'all relate? On both levels, cars and your life. Scratches to your paint and just plain worn out. None of that. Brand new, spanking clean and new. And so today, with that idea, that, that thing that we chase, that we hope, that we wish was true, or we hope is true, we turn to the topic of baptism We've talked about faith, we've talked about repentance, we've talked about confession, and today we're talking about baptism. Baptism is an interesting topic. It's probably one of the most um, argued about things in the Christian faith of those people who claim to follow Jesus. It's very debated about amongst, in many circles, and there's conflicting ideas about what it is and what it means. Some people would say, I'm just going to share a few different things that I've heard over the years. Some would say that baptism is being buried with Christ and raised up to new life. Some would say it's an outward sign of an inward grace. Some would say it's the end of your old life and the beginning of your new life. Some would say it's a symbol to show that you were saved. Some would say it's the act of obedience of a Christian. Some would say it's the last act of a repentant sinner. Some would say it's the point of forgiveness or being clothed in Christ. And at movement... Here at Movement Church, it's our goal to be as biblical as we can. No matter what we do, we try our best to follow what God's Word says and God's Word alone. We don't want to get caught up in necessarily following people's opinions, people's ideas, and people's versions and ideas of theology. We want it to be found in Scripture and Scripture alone. And if you're around here long enough, and I'll say it again today so you know, you know as well. I don't want anybody to just simply take my word for what I'm saying about God's word. I want you to look at the Bible. I want you to hold me to it because unfortunately that's what a lot of us do is someone who seems like they know what they're talking about. Someone who maybe has a big crowd or has some initials after their name or they have a big shiny building or they have this or that. You fill in the blank. They say, well, they look like they know what they're talking about, so I'm going to listen to them. And they never open a Bible to see if what that person is saying is true. And that leads a lot of people astray. And so we want to do our very best to dig into God's word to get to the truth, the heart of the matter about anything that we can. And so today there's no exception to that rule. We want to look at what God's word says. We don't want to base our faith on hearsay. We want to base it on what he said. <laughs> Some of y'all are awake and caught that. We want to base it on what God says. We want to base our faith on His truth. So the question is if we want to base our faith and strive to base it on the Word of God, what does God say about baptism? It's a fair question to ask, and it's a good one to answer. Actually, God says a lot, He says a lot about baptism in the New Testament. And a great place to start is in Acts chapter 2. We've got scripture that's going to be on the screen if you want to follow along in your Bible. Of course, feel free on your Bible app. Open up to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we've shared this passage already in this series because it's very relevant. Because here's one of the reasons why it's so important is that it's the history of the beginning of the church. The first time that the gospel is ever preached is recorded here in Acts chapter 2. And if you think about it, you know we understand the the idea or the theory about a river is purest at its source. You know if you want really clean water it 's a little bit safer to go and to drink it up in the mountains out of the river than it is to go down in the Noose river when you see all kinds of nasty mess floating by, and it looks like really bad chocolate milk, <laughs> you know what I 'm talking about. You know, I'd rather drink it up at the top of the mountain where the river is pure. It's at its source and that's where it's at its purest. So if we want to see what the church should be like at its purest, we go back to the source and we see where the church began as recorded in Acts chapter 2. And so that's why we go back there. Because the very first time the gospels preached, it's there in Acts chapter 2. So as... Peter is preaching, he's the spokesman for the uh, the 12, the rest of the 12 apostles, they're standing up, they had spoken other languages, it says that they spoke and all the people hearing could hear in their own native tongue, their heart language, if you will, and it's that's such a neat thing to me. A lot of times we focus on them speaking being the miracle. But if you look and you go through and you count. Now this, this is just for free. I'm not going to charge you up for this. This is a little sidelight. But if you go and you look in the account. And you count up the nations that are mentioned in the audience. There are more nations and languages therefore mentioned in the audience than there were speakers. So if you think about it. The big miracle was in the hearing more so than even in the speaking. You know, And so God allowed each person to hear it, not just in the language of Greek that everybody knew. Because that was what, if you wanted to do business and live life, you knew Greek. But he said, I'm not even going to let them share it in Greek for the first time. I'm going to let every single person who's there hear it in their heart language. So that's like what their mom sang to them when they were a little kid. They want to hear it. And so they stand up, they preach this message, and they get to the end of this message. And ultimately what he says is that they had gone and killed the Messiah that they had been waiting for. These good Jewish uh, men and women were there. Many of them had been there uh, a few days before at the Passover feast. This was the Feast of Pentecost. They had been there at the Passover feast. And many of them had been part of the same crowd that when they held Jesus up and said, What should we do with him? You know what they yelled? Crucify him! Crucify him! And many of them had been part of the same crowd that had begged for Barabbas instead of Jesus to be set free. They had all remembered that it was just 50 days after that feast. It was just 50 days after that feast, the Feast of Pentecost. And they're there and they realized as he's preaching that they had killed the Messiah that they had waited for for centuries. And so we pick up in Acts chapter 2 verse 36. Peter says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you, and he probably pointed a finger at the whole crowd, thousands of people. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. It says in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Put yourself in their shoes for a second. These were people that had traveled from all over. Most of them had just been there in Jerusalem just a few days before for Passover. So they were religious people, right? They didn't just say, oh, well, it's too far to make the trip. They made the big trip twice in the matter of less than two months. They were religious people and they thought that they were friends of God and they were so excited to be able to shout down that false teacher Jesus and see him. They got to even see him crucified. Just like in the old West, they would have the, the public hangings. That was like the drew a crowd when they would hang the bad guys, you know, that kind of thing. This was they were excited about this crucifixion, and it was even better because he was a false teacher, or so they thought. And so here they are a few days later hearing that they had killed the Messiah that they had waited for for thousands of years. These religious people who knew, just knew that they were God's favorite ones. Can you imagine the fear? Can you imagine the fear? of realizing that you thought you were a friend of God, you thought you had done God a favor by yelling, Crucify! 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 And then in a matter of moments, here in a sermon you realize that you had killed the one who was sent to save you. Your mind is racing because, number one, you feel guilt and shame and you feel terror because you understand the Jewish relationship between God and people was not a loving, friendly relationship. One guy got to go into the presence of God and offer sacrifice once a year, and he did it with terror, shaking in his boots, so to speak. He was afraid. They were not just chummy, chummy, pally, pally with God. And so they felt uh, fear and terror. They were terrified because they knew that they were now enemies of God. And then to top it off, they don't get to look back on history like we do. They don't get to see the whole Bible written out. They're thinking, what do we do? The one who came to save us is gone. We're never going to be free of the Romans. And they probably thought a whole mixture of things, but they're terrified. And so it says, look here with me, at the end of verse 37, it says they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? When you read the Bible a lot of times, because it's, you know, in black and white or whatever on a screen, it's easy to just read it, brothers, what shall we do? Hmm. You know, when it's like in the story of, you know, Joshua and Jericho and they marched around and you read and it says, And then the walls came tumbling down. Tumble, rumble, rumble. We read it so boring, you know. A city, the stinking walls fell down from the inside out. These things were big enough sometimes that chariots could ride around the top of the wall. This was not my little, your little six foot wooden fence in your yard boom you know it's nothing like that when they realized that they were enemies of god they probably screamed what shall we do we are lost we are enemies of god what shall we do verse 38 peter says to them repent And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some people would say, why doesn't he say believe there or have faith in God? wasn't nobody standing up amongst those 12 that didn't believe that those people who were screaming out, What shall we do? There wasn't anybody that doubted whether those people believed who Jesus was now. They were utterly convinced that Jesus was exactly who He had said He was and who they called Him a liar for. But now they know that He was the Messiah. They had ultimate faith in who Jesus was at this point. But they realize that that is simply not enough to know the truth about Jesus. And so Peter, in speaking for the rest of the twelve, says, Repent. Turn away. Like we talked about, if you need to go back, if you weren't here, go back and listen to those messages. We talk in depth about why... What repentance is and what confession is but he says repent turn away from your old ways of thinking your old life of sin just leave it behind and run to jesus and the way that he explains that is to be baptized buried in water immersed in water For the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you. This same Holy Spirit that everybody in this crowd thought the Holy Spirit would come and dwell in the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant one time a year. And that one priest would go in and be terrified. That same Holy Spirit, that same God is now going to live in you and me. Y'all, this is a turnaround of epic proportions. They went in in a few moments of thinking, we are enemies of God and we are destroyed, calling out, brothers, what shall we do? To all of a sudden hearing, you can be forgiven and free and even better yet, God will live in you. And here we sit in 2021 thinking, oh, good show. (laughs) We don't get excited about it. I don't get excited about it to realize that Almighty God will live in you and I. He will not only just forgive your sin, but He will make His dwelling place in you. That, my friends, is good news. That is good news that we as the church should get excited about. Why do you think people who don't go to church don't give a rip about church because we don't get excited about the truth? We should be excited about it. And I'm just as guilty as anybody of forgetting how blessed, how big of a blessing it is that the Holy God of heaven would not only accept me, He would forgive my sin. He would wash it away at baptism, and He would make His Holy Spirit to live in me. So these people there say they realize they're lost. They realize that they thought they were friends of God, but now they're enemies of God. They ask, what shall we do? And the answer is repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, there might be a temptation, and, and you want to think about things so you understand where we're coming from here. There might be an idea to say, well, maybe that was just the first message for the first people right then and there. Maybe it was just for the crowd that was there that day, and you and I have something different that we do to begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe it was just for that one who had yelled, crucify. They were extra bad, right? They had yelled, crucify Jesus a little bit before. But here's what it says in verse 39. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Do you know who that includes? You and me. Do you know who that includes? Everybody all around here you know who that includes? Everybody in Afghanistan and Haiti and all around the world that needs to hear the message that they can be forgiven, that they can have the Holy Spirit to live inside them. This message is not just for the people who were there that day, but he says for you and your children and all who are far off. Every single person that wants to hear the truth and hears it can follow this message. And if there's any question that baptism is connected to our salvation, our relationship with Jesus, Peter expands on it in verse 40. He says, and with, or it says, and he says, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. He said, save yourselves from it. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They ain't never going to make it a golden crowd on time, baptizing 3,000 people. (laughs) They didn't care because they realized that they were lost and now they could be saved. And so 3,000 people were buried with Christ in baptism and had their sins forgiven and raised up to walk in a new life. So he says, save yourselves. Those who received the message were baptized. They didn't wait two weeks. They didn't go through a class and study. They realized I was lost, but now I need to be found. And here's how I get found because that's what they were told when the gospel was preached. And so the truth is this. Baptism is for anybody who wants to be saved from their sins. Baptism is for anybody who desires to be saved. But that's not all that God says about baptism. We don't have time for every passage this morning because, like I said, some of y'all, I don't know if Golden Crow still exists, but some of y'all want to get to Golden Crow, right? We don't have time for every passage that the Bible teaches us on baptism, but here's another. And this is as Paul tells when he began following Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 12. It says, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, He came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. It goes on. It says in verse 14, And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear the voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So, the Apostle Paul, who many of us could say we owe our salvation to him, of course, less than Jesus, but he was the one who was the missionary to the Gentiles, and most of us fit into the category of Gentile. And so he also wrote most of the New Testament, a good majority of it. And so this guy, when he is coming to know Jesus, he is told, what are you waiting for? Get up, wash your sins away by being baptized, calling on the name of the Lord. And so when we see again, baptism is connected with washing your sins away because the blood of Jesus Christ, because the grace of God is how our sins are forgiven And God tells us that at the point of baptism, I will wash you clean and make you new and make you whole. So you got Paul, or Saul, depending on what you want to call him. He tells that Ananias came and shared this message with him. And after he had met Jesus on the road to Damascus, after he had been blinded by that encounter with Jesus, And after he fasted and prayed for three days, it says, if you look at Acts 22 and Acts chapter 9, if you look at those accounts, after all of that, he still had his sin on him. His sin was still being charged to his spiritual account, if you will. And so he needed forgiveness. And so what Ananias says, he says, what are you waiting for? what are you waiting for get up be baptized washing away your sins calling on the name of the lord so he needed to have his sins washed away in baptism as he called the name of jesus or confess jesus and all of those amazing miraculous things that paul had experienced still he needed to follow god's word and his truth they hadn't cleansed him from sin or made him right before god why And the question is honest, it's fair. Why? Why had seen Jesus after he had not only died and resurrected and also ascended back into heaven. So Jesus makes a trip down to heaven to talk to him. Why after that? Why after being blinded? Why after being miraculously healed? Why after fasting and praying? And I would would put in there that he probably begged for God to forgive him and save him. Because he realized now he was an enemy of God. Much like the people in Acts chapter 2 realized. After all these things, why would he need to be baptized? Because God had determined and has determined the time and place that you and I get to experience the forgiveness purchased by Jesus' death on the cross is at the point of baptism. If I can simplify it and I'm not trying to be trite, it's because he's God and we're not. If God says it, then we need to listen to it. If God says it, let's not say, what do you know? (laughs) We can't even figure out how to set our coffee maker clock. He created the earth. What do we know? Listen to what God says. I don't know exactly why he connects the point where we're forgiven with baptism based on our faith and confession and repentance. But God said it, so let's do what he says. And let's trust Him. And as long as we come to Him trusting Jesus, repenting of sin, confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior, we can be forgiven and free. If we need further explanation of what God says about baptism, let's look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. The Apostle Paul, who we just heard about his story there, writes to the church at Rome and he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried, therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So Paul is helping us to see, and God speaking through Paul, if you want to receive the benefits of Jesus' death, According to God's word, the only place to experience that is at baptism. He says, don't you know that all of us died with Christ at baptism? Our old way of life died. It's no more. We're not accountable to it any longer. And then he goes in verse 5. He says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his as we're buried in that water... That spiritual death takes place. We die to that old way of sin. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So not only do we connect with the death of Jesus when we're baptized into Christ, we are connected with the resurrection and the life of Christ. And I'm telling you, that's really, truly where it's at. We not only don't have to pay for our sin, it's washed away and we're connected and we die to our sin, but we also get to live with him forever. We get to live in a perfect place one day when Jesus comes to claim his own. And so if you and I want to experience that, the benefits of Jesus' death, according to God's word, the only place to experience them is at baptism by faith. And likewise, if you want to have new life in Christ, the only place to experience that is at baptism into Christ by faith. Reading further on in Romans in chapter 6, verse 6, here's another truth that we learn. It says, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin, And in some ways, it's repeating what he said in those first few verses. But there's a little bit of a deeper thing. He's saying, look, listen closely. He started off this whole chapter. We didn't even read these first two verses. But you can go back and look and check me on that. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. But there were people who said, well, if grace is there, shouldn't we just go and sin a lot so that grace can be used? We'd hate for the blood of Jesus to be wasted. That's, that's a paraphrase, but that's what they're asking. And Paul says, absolutely not. By no means, because he says you died to sin. And the question is, where do we die to sin? And what did he say in verse 3? When you were baptized into Christ, you died to your old sin and way of life. And you joined with the death of Jesus. And you were raised up to walk in a new life. And here's what I want you to hear. Everybody turn your ears on. Even if you have tune me out. Even if you've fallen asleep. I want you to hear this, okay? You and I can have confidence in our relationship with Jesus when we've done what he says to do. If we believe that Jesus is the Christ, that we leave our life of sin, we repent, we confess him as Lord, we meet him at baptism. He said, I'll wash you and make you clean. You'll die to your old way of life and I'll raise you up. There is no better understanding for us because you know what happens once you decide to follow Jesus. You know what Satan spends a great majority of the rest of your life doing? He whispers in your ear and he says, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You haven't done it right. God doesn't love you. There's no way he could love you. You know the stuff you do. You know the stuff you did last night. You know the thoughts that are going in your head and in your heart. There's no way that you can be forgiven. But you can look back, friends, and you can say, if I have followed what God says, then I know that I died to my sin, and my sin no longer has any claim over me because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I was buried, and that old body is gone. God. He is dead and I am alive in Jesus and Jesus alone. You don't have to wonder, you don't have to fear if you've done what God says to be connected to the blood of Jesus, His Son. Anything else and you're going to wonder and you're going to wonder if you've done it right. Did you say the right words? Did you do this? Did you do that? But when you've done what God says, you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are free. And God makes it clear through Paul here, at baptism you're joined with Christ's death and raised to new life. And so he says, sin no longer has power over you, you are free. And the second thing is this, death has no power over you. This body may die, but your soul will be with Jesus for eternity. And I don't know about y'all, but that's one of the best things in the world to me. I hate death. I hate death. Cancer. I hate COVID. I hate drunk car wrecks. I hate everything that takes people from us way too soon and makes us say goodbye with tears around a grave. And the good news is is if we are in Jesus, none of that has to matter anymore. Yeah, you're going to keep going to funerals, but you can smile at a funeral because you know you're going to see him again. And we get to spend eternity with Jesus in a place that has no more hurting, has no more pain, has no more shame, has no more guilt. We can be free. And death has no power over us. Because we left death behind in that watery grave of baptism. And when we came up, we went, we're not looking back. We're not looking back. We can be alive and free. We don't want to be here all day. And all God's people said, amen. But God has shared all of this and so much more about baptism. And we don't have time to get into every single verse today. And I'd love to talk with you more about it. If you've got some questions or some concerns, we'll look at God's word and God's word alone. But you know some things that God has not said about baptism? God has not said that baptism is an outward sign of an inward grace. You can search the Bible all the way through, backwards and forwards, and you will not see that phrase. God has not said that it's a symbol to show that you were saved at some past point. You can search the Bible back cover to cover, Genesis to maps, and you won't see it. He won't see God say in the Bible that baptism is the first act of obedience of a Christian. My point is this. Those particular three statements are very common teachings that a lot of people adhere to. A lot of people adhere to them, but we've got to do our best to follow what God says. God says, not what other people say. Am I right? If we want to stand before God, we can have confidence if we have followed what God has said. We won't say, I don't know about y'all, but y'all ever remember getting in trouble when you were a kid? You know, your friend comes up to you and it's like, hey, Bobby, um, you know, you see the, that food over there on that table? I know it's not ours, but, you know, I, I'm sure it's okay for us to take it. And you go and you take that food that doesn't belong to you, and then the teacher comes up and is like, who ate this food? And she comes to you and she's like, oh, Bobby, did you eat that food? And you're like, yeah, but Tommy told me it was okay. Is she going to say, oh, well, it's okay then? No, she won't. Because it wasn't Tommy's to tell you the right thing. He told you the wrong answer. Tommy's a dummy, you know? Tommy don't know what he's talking about. And my point is this. If we want to know what to do to be in a right relationship with God, the person, the one that we need to go to is who? God. We need to do our best to follow his word and listen to what he says And many of the prevalent teachings about baptism are sadly not found in Scripture anywhere. And so we have to come to the the realization that if we hold these beliefs or teach them, then we may actually be arguing with God. Months back, I was studying baptism with someone. And honestly, they had some of those Three ideas that I just mentioned a second ago about baptism and we were talking and studying and looking and we got to this point and I said can we think hypothetically for a second I'm not a big hypothetical thinker but I feel like this is a good way to do it I said imagine if you will and I'll ask y'all to do this with me too imagine that you've never read the Bible but you believe in God you've never had the opportunity to read a Bible And nobody's ever told you anything about what the Bible says. And then one day, there you go, there's a Bible, you get to read it, and you read it cover to cover. And I said, imagine with me, if you will, if you did that, if you only read the Bible, nobody had ever told you what the Bible said, but you believed in God, so you say, okay, this is what God's saying. Imagine what you know the Bible says about baptism. After reading the scripture, would you walk away believing that baptism was a part of your salvation, being connected to Jesus? And he paused for a second and he looked at me. And he said, yeah, I'm pretty sure just reading the Bible alone, I would believe that baptism is connected with my salvation in Christ. And I said, awesome. I said, let's go. Let's let's go baptize you. And he paused for a second. And he said, no, I'm sorry. I can't. He was willing to place his eternal soul not in the hands of what God's word says, but in what he had been told by a preacher that he loved and respected or maybe his mother, or maybe a family member, or a friend, and I'm here to tell you that you and I will not stand before God and say, well, that's what they told me. If we have an opportunity to get in God's Word, we need to get in God's Word, and we need to do what God's Word says, because God is the one who has made us right with Him, and He tells us how we can be right with Him. Every one of us should place the hope of our eternal destiny not in the hands of family or friends or preachers or churches, but in God and His Word. And when I say in preachers and churches, I'm even talking about me. I'm a messenger, and I'm trying to be as faithful as I can to God's Word, but I am not perfect. And so I want you to study God's Word. And so I'm here to feed you a little bit, but I want to challenge you to feed yourself. And stick into God's Word. And let me sum it up with this. Baptism is experiencing God's forgiveness and receiving the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And today, if you want that new car smell, (laughs) if you don't want to have to be embarrassed by the scrapes and the bumps and the fender benders and the bruises and the stories that you're embarrassed by, if you don't want to be bound by that anymore, if you want to be free from the penalty of your sins, it's time to be baptized because God has given us a way back to Him when we have faith, when we repent when we confess Him as Lord and we're baptized into Christ the question though for you and I is what are you waiting for? some of you may have done this already and so you feel like okay this doesn't apply to me and that's, that's between you and God. And if you've got some questions and concerns, I would love to talk with you and look through Scripture and see maybe what you need to do. But if you've already done that and you are confident in your relationship with Jesus, then I want you to say, okay, who else needs to hear this good news? That they don't have to have fear and doubt anymore. They don't have to worry about what their spiritual Carfax says when people bring up their past mistakes and sins. It doesn't matter anymore. They can hear this too. Who needs to hear this? But in a room of any size, I guarantee there are people who need to obey what God's Word says and be forgiven and free and clean and new. And just like Ananias said to the Apostle Paul, I, or, who was not the Apostle Paul at that time, he said, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on the name of the Lord, and never look back. I'm going to be right off to the side over here as we sing this next song. And I want to encourage you to block out every voice, everything. And I want you to focus on God, his word, his truth. And say, Lord, help me to be who you've called me to be. Help me to do what you've called me to do. And help me to share the message of love and hope and truth with as many people as possible. Because church, that is why we exist. To be saved and to help others be saved. So I'll be right over here and I'd love to talk with you and pray with you study with you do whatever we need to do we can take you today there's no need to wait what are you waiting for let's stand let's sing thank you for listening to movement christian church's sermon podcast want to learn more about us you can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on ios and android devices under movement NC.